6, where we'll begin this morning. As I said last week, I just, I just love the book of Mark because he's, he's a real go-getter, right? Like, he doesn't waste time with genealogies. He just gets straight to the point. Not that the other gospel writers are wasting time, but, but Mark has a clear objective, and it's to answer the question, who is Jesus? And the amazing thing is the writer actually never tells you. He tells you at the very beginning of the gospel, um, just so you know what to expect, but then he lets the story unfold by having other people answer this question, who is Jesus, the primary thing that the book is concerned about in the middle of the book, chapter 8, we see the disciples give the correct answer that that this is the Christ, this is the Messiah who's come to make all things right. And so that's the answer. And then you'll notice a shift in the book of Mark at chapter 8 where they begin to prepare immediately after that confession of Peter. They begin to prepare for the things to come. But here we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6. And just I had it read this morning, but we're going to look at it together and uh, but what happens at the beginning of Mark chapter 6 is the the people of Jesus's own hometown we looked at this last week that the people of Jesus's own hometown rejected him they said we know this cat he ain't special like we know who his mom is we know who his sister is like he's not special and that was the answer given by the hometown of Jesus and so let's look now at Mark chapter 6 verse 7 And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Let's stop right there. I just want you to to make sure everyone's looking at the scriptures. I know it was already read this morning. Uh, We're going to look at it together. Uh, And I do this because I have it read over you without you looking at the text. But then I have us diving in together so you can kind of hear God speak through this text. Verse 8. He charged them to to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil and many who were sick and and healed them. Okay, now stop right there like... I, we, we covered this a while back, right, back when we were first kind of making our way through Mark. But Mark does this literary device where he's, he puts in the text something that if you're just reading it straight through without understanding it, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. He, he does these things, what we call the Mark sandwiches. Who here likes sandwiches? All right, you can have peanut butter sandwich, bologna sandwich. My wife doesn't prefer that. Uh, or you can have a turkey sandwich. Uh, and so what I mean by a Mark sandwich is he's telling one story right, and all of a sudden, it's like he takes a detour, tells another story, and then comes back to the first story, right? Like two pieces of bread and some peanut butter and jelly in the middle there. So look down at verse 30 real quick. Like, like you have this opening story of Jesus sending out the apostles. He's, he's, gonna, he's sending them out to do something. And then verse 30, Mark ends the story. The apostles returned to Jesus, look at verse 30, and told him all that they had done and taught. So Mark's doing something here. I, I struggle with how to preach this sermon, right? Because I could just preach the, the bread, right? We could just preach the bread. I could just preach the peanut butter and jelly. Or we can kind of take it how Mark has given it to us here as a, as a whole sandwich. And so he kind of tells the story like Jesus is sending out the apostles to, to do something. And then, like, how easy would it have been for Mark just to take verse 30 and, and instead move it up just a little bit? And then they returned and told him all that they did. But inside of this sandwich, Mark tells us a, 
a ghastly story. Look at verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Oh, sorry, not verse 21, verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in and immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And then Mark finishes the other story. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that he had done and taught. So the question for us today is, what does the story about John the Baptist's death have to do with the story of the apostles being sent out? Right? Mark is trying to tell us something here. Right? He doesn't do this accidentally. It's not like he's like, oh, you know what? I lost my train of thought. All right, the, the apostles returned. Let me put that in this story. No, no, he's, he's doing something here, right? So the question for us to figure out today is what? What is he trying to tell us? So let's look back at that first story, the, the apostles here. The apostles. Look at verse 7. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. So, so first off, we see that the, the apostles were, were sent, right? They were, they were sent, up until this time, they've only been disciples. They've only been listening, watching, never doing, just watching the master work. Never, uh, sometimes they would have private conversations. Sometimes they would just ask Jesus a question after Jesus would do a thing. But never have they begun to step out into courageous faith and do anything like this. Remember from Mark chapter 3, this is what Jesus says when he calls his disciples. He says he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out. So like he's, he's done that. Like he's, he's called his disciples. They've been together now for six chapters. But in, verse, in chapter 3, in verse 15, it says, it says that he might be with them, and, two parts to this, he might send them out. Preach and have authority to cast 
out demons. Listen, you and I are called to be disciples of Christ. Amen. Like, like, like he says, get in here. Like, learn from me. Read the scriptures. Understand who I am. You and I are called to be disciples of Christ, to be learning about who Christ is and what Christ has done. But listen, that's not all we're called to. Imagine you come in here week in and week out, and I'm filling up your buckets, right? Just pretend you, you came in with an empty bucket this morning. And I'm trying to fill it up with the scriptures and with Christ and trying to say, here's who Christ is. Here's what Christ has done. Now, it would be a shame for you to return next week with a full bucket. Wouldn't it? It would be a shame. Like, like we're called in, but then we're also sent out. Just like the disciples, we are, have been sent by Christ. Not only that, but look, the, the, the apostles were given a mission. The end of verse 7 there. He says, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, remember, Mark chapter 3 says, I, I, I want them to come in to learn from me, but then also to go and preach. Right? So he's not just saying, hey, go take care of the demons. He's saying, go preach repentance. Preach the good news. And we can see this, even though it's not in verse 7, we see it just a few texts later when it says they went and preached that people should repent. But they did. They were given this, the authority, right? This is the first time we see Christ giving power to his apostles, right? They're just some dumb fishermen, aren't they? Right? Like, these cats didn't know much. Like, we give them a hard time, but honestly, what if Jesus pulled some of us in? They were told, they, they were given a mission to, to preach the good news, to cast out demons. And number three, they were given instructions. Right? Christ didn't just give them a mission and say, go figure it out on your own. Right? He's, he's not just sent them um, and said, here's your purpose statement, now figure it out. But look, look at verse 8. He says he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Right? He's, he's saying, number one, that they're to take no provisions. Take no provisions. Do not worry about the necessities of life. He says, don't worry. In this, what Christ is teaching his apostles is full-on reliance on Christ and on God. You see, we live in a world that, that is not plagued, right? Like, we here in America are not plagued with things like famines. Like, just think about American history. Like, like, we are not plagued by famines, especially in 2022, where, where we pretty much have our grocery stores are filled. And we say, yeah, yeah, I want to be like the apostles, trusting Christ for everything. Bro, like, you're, you're earning a check. Like, you're making your own money. And I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm just saying what Christ is doing with his apostles here is a little bit different than I think what most of us think on reliance on God. But this isn't un, unusual, right? Like, this... It's not like Jesus is teaching one thing. He's like, oh, yeah, go and do this wild idea you've never heard from me, right? They, they've heard Christ preach. Like, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about where you're going to lie your head. This is just par for the course of who Christ is and what Christ teaches. He teaches them to take no provisions. But he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. You see, Christ was not only teaching them to take no provisions for themselves, but he was teaching them to rely on the hospitality of others. 
Rely on the hospitality of others. So a few months ago, right, I preached a whole sermon on hospitality. I said it's like it's unnatural for there to be a Christian who has no hospitality, right? I said that like it's par for the, like it's what it means to be a Christian. It means to open the door to those who are hurting, to be hospitable. And again, this is, here it is, in the beginning of the apostles taking on ownership for preaching, for teaching, for casting out demons, like they were themselves to rely on the hospitality of others. And not only that, he wasn't only teaching them to take no provisions or to rely on hospitality, but look what he says here right after that. He says, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony. Again, some little cultural understanding here. When the the Jewish people would leave the homeland, right, and they would venture out into the pagan societies around them, as they would come back into Canaan, into the promised land, what they would do is they would literally do what Jesus just said. They would take off their sandals and they would dust, they would shake the dust off their shoes. And in so doing, it's not because like the dust is contaminated, right? It's not like the, the pagan cities are filled with sewage and they got to get it off there, right? It's, not, it's nothing practical like that. No, 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 this is symbolic. Because in the taking off of the shoes and, and to dust off the dust from the pagan society, what you are doing is actually giving condemnation to them. Right? It was placing the judgment of God on the, the world who does not care about God, does not listen to God, wants nothing to do with God. And it's a, a shaking off. You can see that Jesus says here, he says that do it as a testimony against them. The reason the Jewish people did this, the reason Jesus said to do this is to, to, to shake off the dust is so that they would, might be led to repentance by this judgment. Remember, Jesus just got, he just faced this in his own hometown, this, we do not want to listen to you, Jesus. And so he's saying, if they don't listen, declare judgment upon them. You say, Matt, it's 2022, we can't do that. It's not politically correct to tell other people they're wrong. Listen, it's never been. Like, just, just, I mean, let's just rewind 2,000 years here. Guy comes through town, says he knows Christ, he knows you're not living right. You say, we don't want anything, get on out of here. And the guy says, well, you know, it's on you. How do you think they felt? You think, like, this is a new thing for people to feel? Like, this condemnation, right? Like, like the reason why, listen, before Christ, the reason why you naturally feel condemned by God is because you are. The world outside of Christ is condemned by Christ. This is just what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, isn't it? He says, I come not to condemn the world, but, but through me, right, that, that all might be forgiven. But without him, there's already condemnation. And the church, right, the church of today is to be a beacon, a light in a dark place. Not only to say, hey, come on, get in here, learn who Christ is, accept His forgiveness of sins, but it's also to be a light and shining on darkness, saying that's wrong. That's not how God's called us to live. It's not how He's wired the world. I feel like so many church programs of today try to 
skirt around this idea of casting judgment. I was like, yeah, we don't want to tell anyone they're wrong, Pastor. Ah, like, like they, they are wrong. And so it's unloving to tell them that they're not. Or to ignore it, right? It's, 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 it's a sin of omission to not tell the truth when you know it. So this is the first part of the story, right? The apostles. He's, he's given them. He's, he's sent them. They have a mission, and then they have instructions on how they're actually to carry that out. But now let's look at this, this, this odd story, right? It just feels weird. John the Baptist. But before we get there, we've got to do a little bit of work on who John the Baptist is. Number one, John the Baptist was sent. He was sent, just like the apostles, right? This is what you have to do. When, whenever you come across, there's like four different Mark sandwiches in the Gospel of Mark that you want to look for. And to understand what Mark is trying to do with putting the sandwich together, so you've got to compare, contrast, where are things the same, where are things different. That's how you understand what Mark's ultimately trying to say. But look, what we've got to understand is John the Baptist in the story, he was sent. John chapter 1. Jesus is going to go and, and be baptized by John. And then John sees him coming. And this is what he says in verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Like, look what John just said. He says, he says, somebody sent me, right? He who sent me, right? This is God the Father has sent John the Baptist. So he sent, just like the apostles, John the Baptist was sent. Not only that, but he was also given a mission. Right before verse 31 is verse 30 and 30, uh, right before verse 32 is 30 and 31. And this is what John says. He says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So you see that John is the Baptist is not only sent, but that he also has a mission. Right? It's not like, Jesus, like they just sent him out there and said, Figure it out. Like, Go wild out, John. We don't know what you're doing here. He said, no, no, no. Like, I have a purpose. I have a mission. So just like the apostles, John the Baptist has a mission. And just like the apostles, John the Baptist was given instructions. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says this. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So John the Baptist has instructions from the Lord. He's got, he was sent. He has a mission. He has instructions. He's got something to do. He's not out there trying to figure it out, eating locusts and honey, trying to figure out what he's supposed to be doing. That's why in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, this is what that, uh, the writer says there. He says, he said, therefore, this is John the Baptist talking to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. You broad of vipers. Like, let's just stop for a minute. What if Pastor Matt was like, you all God-hating, God-fearers out there, right? Like, that's basically what he's saying. But I was talking to those who think they're in Christ. Like, man, Pastor Matt, you got to find some easier words. Like, 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 what if we called out churches for being liars of the gospel when they preach another Christ? 
when they preach another way to, to heaven except through Christ? Like, like what, would, what would happen? That's what John the Baptist is here. That's what he's saying. You brought of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so John's out there, he's preaching this hellfire and brimstone sermons, right? Like, he said, that, wouldn't, that, won't, that won't build a crowd today, Pastor. But look what the crowd said to him. So, what, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. And so then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And so soldiers also asked him, And we? What should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. That's the background story to what Mark's about to tell us what actually happened, what went down when John was in prison. Look at verse 14 of Mark chapter 6. It says this, King Herod heard of it. He's heard about what Jesus has done. He's heard about the disciples out healing people, preaching repentance. Jesus' fame is growing. And so they ask the same question that the whole book of Mark asks. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are working him. But others said he's Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old, right? Like the question of who is Jesus has to be answered by everybody. Every one of us. Who is Jesus? Your friends can't answer it for you. Your family can't answer it for you. You alone. You can't ignore it. Look what Herod said. He heard of what Jesus is doing. He's heard of Jesus' fame rising. And he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because she... Because he had married her. Right? So, so, like, John is out here preaching in the wild west, right? Like, literally, just imagine, like, deserts and honey and locusts. That's his food. Wearing nothing but a burlap sack. He's like, y'all sinners. Every last one of you, repent. Come to Christ. Know who he is. Stop living that way. And he gets them locked up. Thrown in jail. Because he took a shot at Herod called out the guy who was in charge and said, hey, that guy, breaking God's law. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. 
Now notice, it didn't really bother Herod. Right? Like, it didn't bother Herod. Who did it bother? Bother his wife, right? His brother Philip's wife, his wife now. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. Here's why. For Herod had feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he had heard him gladly. So John is preaching. He's teaching, telling people to stop living their sinful lives, and telling them to point them to the Christ to come. And he's thrown in jail. You remember the account where John's in jail, and Jesus is out doing miracles, and John begins to question himself. Is, is this the one? So he sends his disciples out, right? He sends, sends his disciples and say, go ask him, is this the one to come? Or should we look for another? Right? And Jesus quotes Isaiah to him. Deaf will hear, the, the blind will see, the dead will live again. And, and yet he stops there. He, he doesn't tell them what the next verse says in Isaiah, which is that the prisoners shall be set free. We're never told what John's reaction was when his disciples came back heard it, or when he, they told him. We're not told that. But what we are told is what happens next. Look at verse 21. An opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. So this dude throws a party. Got John in the chains. He's cool. He's locked up. Right, and the text almost reads as if it was like Herod would kind of go down into the cellar every now and again and just like just talk to me, brother. Right? And he's like, he's like, ah, like I don't I don't know if I agree with that, but I'm glad to listen to you. But here Herod is, he's throwing a party. Girl comes in and dances. And for whatever reason, this hot shot, whether to improve uh, his, his or, you know, to build himself up in front of his friends or, or what, he says, Whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. It's yours. Whatever you want. So the, the, the young girl, not knowing what to ask for, goes and asks her mom, Herodias. Remember, Herodias has a grudge against John because John's called her a sinner. So she asks for the head of John the Baptist. Now look what it says. It says, and the king was exceedingly sorry. Like he didn't want to do this. He didn't want to kill John. He listened to John gladly. And yet, because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So the question for us this morning is, what does that have to do with the apostles, right? What does the story about John the Baptist's death have to do with the story of the apostles being sent out? Both were sent by God. Both were given a mission. And both were given instructions on how to do it. That's the similarities between the stories. But notice the differences. John the Baptist was killed. The apostles came back and told Christ of all they had done. 
and taught. So I've got two answers for, for what, this, what Mark is trying to tell us here. What's he trying to tell us between these two stories? Number one, to prove through Herod and Herodias that there is no neutrality when it comes to who Christ is. There is no neutrality when it comes to who Christ is, right? Like, like Mark doesn't give us what the reactions were when the apostles preached. They preached, they taught, they cast out demons. That's all he tells us. He never tells us that did, at any point did the disciples have to knock the dust off their shoes. He never tells us that. But he gives us the illustration between Herod and Herodias that there is no neutral, neutrality when it comes to who Christ is. You see, Herod feared John because John was holy and righteous. Like, he knew this guy is different. Like, he's not like all those other clowns out there in the Jewish Sanhedrin. Like, this guy is different. He's holy. He's righteous. He would go sit and listen to John. Tell him about his sins. He was perplexed, but he listened gladly. His worldview collided with John's. And he didn't know what to make of it. So if there's anyone who's going to be neutral, you'd think it would be a guy like Herod. I'll listen to the guy. I'll come to church. I'll listen to the pastor preach. Not sure what to think of it. This worldview collides with mine. guy calls me a sinner every week, tells me I'm not in Christ every week. But I'll come. I'll listen. Listen, like my fear is that like, we might have some Herods even here. Come, listen to the gospel preached and presented week in and, and week out, and yet you leave perplexed. You leave perplexed. Listen, there is no neutrality here. Herodias was dead set against John, hostile to him. Like, listen, when the word is preached, when sins are called out, you either love the Christ who is calling you to himself. Or you hate them. There's no neutrality here. We're not given the answers in the apostles' story, but we're given the answer in the story of John the Baptist. And number two, the life and death of John the Baptist was to be the model which the apostles would follow. Both sent, both given a mission, both given instructions on how to do that mission. Both did it. And we're given the ending of John the Baptist's story here. Both were to preach repentance. Notice that. Like, like the apostles were not preaching a different message than John. John was saying, repent because Christ is coming. The apostles come on the scene. They say, repent because Christ is here. He's, he's here. Repent. Turn away from your sins. Do it. 180, right? I remember growing up uh, you know, at, in high school and coming to church. Like They say repentance is just 180. Just turn around. Like It's true. To repent means to stop doing a thing and go the other way. The same is on us today. The church is to be preaching repentance. To turn people from their sin. Listen, you can't do that if all the time it's like, ah, you know, it's okay. We just love you. We just love you. Like, listen, we should love people. You should love them enough to tell them they're going to go to hell when they die. And not get all weirded out about it. Because it boils down to, do we actually believe that or not? Do we believe it 
or not. Like the life and death of John the Baptist was to be the model which the apostles would follow. They would preach repentance. John, unwavering commitment to Christ. The apostles, unwavering commitment to Christ. He's not looking for half-hearted Christians. He's not looking for to build a country club. He's looking to build his church filled with men and women, boys and girls of, of all ages who say, you know what, I would give up everything in my life. Remember, he told them not to worry about the stuff of life. Don't take food. Don't take clothing. Just go. I'll be there with you. The same he tells us, I'll be there. Just go. Unwavering commitment to Christ. Finally, this, this, this model which John the Baptist has here would also be what the model would be for the apostles, and that's to lay down his life. Killed. No trial. No jury. And notice, it wasn't even for like, it's not like he'd even decided like, you know what, I've just had enough of this guy calling me a sinner. Kill him. Something as simple little is a foolish promise to a dancer. Dead. Off with his head. Murdered. What happened to the apostles? Did the apostles get to ease into eternity? What happened when the apostles preached and called people to repentance. Do you remember? Book of Acts filled with it. They're thrown in jail, beaten, killed, murdered, executed. Every apostle to the, to the man either died a horrific death or they tried to kill him and they couldn't. You see, John the Baptist modeled for the apostles that they would have to lay down their lives like John the Baptist did. And so the question for us today is, why do we think we should get a free pass? Why do we think that we should be able to live lives of ease when from the beginning of the Christian church it's been built on the backs and blood of martyrs? Why do we think that we should just gather up wealth for ourselves, gather up food for ourselves, wear way more than two pairs of clothing, and while people are lost and dying, going to hell around us? Why are we uncommitted in the things that really matter to Christ? Why do we no longer preach repentance? I'm not just talking about my job up here. I'm talking about as you go out into the world. Why do we think that only some Christians will actually have to lay down their lives. Me, I'm going to die in my 90s with my feet up while I'm sleeping. So what Mark's telling us in this sandwich is that, like, preach repentance, have unwavering commitment to Christ. Whatever He calls you to do, you do it. And then if He calls you to lay down your life, you're willing to do it. You see, most of us would probably, like, you might even be telling yourself right now, you know, like, if, if it ever comes to it, they can kill me for Christ. You might be telling yourself that. 
But if you're willing to die for Christ, why aren't you willing to live for him? What is it in the, the Monday through Saturday grind of life that you're saying, yeah, I'll die for him, Christ, but you know what? I'm not going <laughs> to go tell my neighbor that Christ loves him. I'm not going to lay down my life like that, Pastor. Listen, this is what he calls us into. So I'm going to leave us on a positive note here, right? Because I feel like I've just been yelling at you for like 40 minutes now. Listen, Christ equipped his apostles with what they needed. Christ gave, when John had his moment of, of doubt and uncertainty, he gave him the answer that he needed to face beheading. And listen, Christ has given us something way better than the ability to cast out demons and to just look at people and tell them they're not sick anymore. Do you remember? Before Christ ascended into heaven, he says, go into all the world. Baptizing, teaching, preaching, right? Doing all these things, teaching them the ways of God. What was the promise at the end? The promise of, of, because we often look at the apostles like, yeah, like, it's easy to be preaching repentance when you got the big dog right here doing the same thing. But didn't Jesus say it would be better for him to go away so that he could send the comforter to take up residence in our own hearts? That like the, like everyone, every person who's looked towards Christ in the Old Testament is worse off even those who walked with Christ during his natural life are worse off than we are. Because, listen, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Like, we literally have God taking... If you're in Christ, you have God living in your heart. And that is way better. It's way better. God, like, Jesus himself said, this is way better. So I want to encourage you. I want to embolden you. I want to fill your bucket up so you can go out and you can just dump it. Just dump it out every week. Preach repentance. Keep your commitments to Christ. And lay down your life every day. But do it with the spirit that God has given you to do it. Now, if you hear me like, yeah, let's, let's go, Pastor! I'm ready. Listen, that's not going to make it outside the driveway. Like, it'll wear off. And like, as soon as I get done praying, you'll be like, what did he say again? But listen, Christ is in your heart. You're going to take him with you today. And you can do this. You can live this way. It's possible. It's possible because he's promised to be there for us, fam. He's promised. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, Father. We thank you for not having to worry about things such as famine or what we're going to eat after we leave this place. But Lord, we realize that's not been the story for most of church history. And Father, we just pray that you would open our eyes to what you've actually called us to to lay down our lives for you, to, to open up our homes for others, to, to preach repentance with boldness and courage, or courage, Father, Lord, to just be doing what you've told us to do, Father, Lord. We cannot do that on our own. We need a move of God. We need God to stir up in our hearts the affections for Christ, Lord. Take us back 
to when we first got saved, Father Lord. And we, we realize that, that, that we are under condemnation from you, Father. That we are trying to escape your wrath. We are running all day long. And yet you say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest, Father. We've come today. We've gotten that rest. And Father, we pray that you would send us out. Send us out on mission to live for you, Father. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, will you stand? We're just going to sing a cappella, Amazing Grace, and then...